Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. You guys remember maybe you were a kid and the first time you went to an amusement park and you were just like jumping out of your skin as you pulled into the parking lot. Like you remember, like does anybody remember Opryland? Come on. They, they ruined our childhood when they destroyed Opryland. Some of you guys have no idea what we're talking about because it was gone before you had the chance to experience such exquisiteness as Opryland. But I remember the first time pulling into Opryland parking lot, I was probably like fifth grade or whatever, and just that sense of excitement and anticipation that I had to experience my first um, theme park, my first amusement park. And I kind of have the same expectation going into this series because really the last several weeks, the last couple of months, I've been feeling like we really needed to spend this month of August just focusing on prayer. Um, prayer is really one of the two greatest disciplines for those of us who are followers of Jesus that, that we can practice, that we can work out, that we can uh, pursue. It's Bible reading and prayer. And so much so that in the 80s, Bon Jovi talked about we had to be living on a prayer, right? And in the 90s, MC Hammer said, you got to pray just to make it today. And then two or three years ago, Sam Smith said, everyone prays in the end. But here's what I want for us. I don't want us to wait till the end to pray. Because I really think, like, when you think about everybody at some point, whether you're a believer, an atheist, an agnostic, whatever, you pray, but I don't want us to get to where we wait to the end. I don't want prayer to be our last resort. I want it to be our first response. That's why prayer is really one of our core four in our values. We put our hope in Jesus. I don't want you putting your hope in me or Avenue Church. I want you putting your hope in Jesus. When we do that, I want us to respond in worship, and then I want us to be persistent in prayer persistent in prayer. And I, and I get that value from Luke chapter 11. Jesus tells this story when he's teaching on prayer about a neighbor who goes next door because he had a friend show up and he goes next door and he wants to make his friend a sandwich that showed up in the middle of the night and he doesn't have any bread. So he goes next door and he starts knocking on his neighbor's door and the neighbor yells from the bed like, what do you want? It's 1230 in the morning. I'm not answering the door at 1230 in the morning. But he keeps knocking on his neighbor's door, and his neighbor finally comes to the door and gives him what he needs. And Jesus says in this teaching, he says he doesn't do it because he's his neighbor, but he does it. He opens the door and gives the bread because of his shameless persistence. And I just love that, 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 that illustration, that, that vision of just being shamelessly persistent. Like it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It doesn't matter their opinion of us. We are going to be a church that prays. And for some of us, thinking about praying can be a little bit intimidating because maybe we don't know how to do it. Maybe we, it feels awkward when we do it. But this church was built on prayer. 
In 2020, right before the pandemic hit, we were supposed to have started our church in February, and we felt in November of 19 we were supposed to push back. So we started at the end of January in 2020 with about 14 people. Every Sunday we got together for a time of worship, but most importantly we got together for a time of prayer. And we continued that through the pandemic, moving to Zoom, still praying for those of you that are sitting here today. For those that aren't in here today, we have been praying for them, and we did that for a full year leading up to the launch. And so when we moved from a little place called Ridenauer Studios on Park Avenue, we started there with, with about 14 people. And when we moved, we moved to the Walnut House in October of last year with about 45 to 50 people. And then in January of, 27, of 2021, this year, we opened our doors and launched with 167 people on launch Sunday. Come on, and now we're averaging 120. And, and all those numbers are great, but you know the greatest numbers is since we've launched, we've seen 19 people take their next step into the waters of baptism. We've seen almost 60 people give their life to Christ and start a fresh start in a relationship with him. Those are the numbers that we celebrate. Come on. Those are the numbers that we celebrate. And so like all of that is foundational on prayer. And when we started, to be honest, we have a huddle before you guys get here. The serve team that day, they, they, they get here early, and we spend time kind of hanging out, and we had kind of gotten away from prayer. We would have a little rah-rah moment. I would give like an encouragement scripture. We would celebrate, and then we would just go get on our post. And guess what we stopped doing? Praying. The thing that got us here, we stopped doing. And so a few months ago, we just like, you know what? We're going to spend 15, 20 minutes in prayer. And so our A-team, we get here, we hang out, we get coffee, we do some housekeeping stuff, and else, but then we spend 15 or 20 minutes praying for you, praying for this service, praying for what you're going to face, because we know that's where our power lies. And so if by chance, as we're doing these 21 days of prayer, if you guys want to join us, not just on Saturday morning, but if you want to get here about 9, 10 on a Sunday morning, come on. We'll have room for you, because I believe the more people that we can get praying, the more things that we'll see changed, not just in your life, but in this community. And so I'm expecting about this series and that I want us to lay hold of the power that you and I possess in this thing called prayer. As a matter of fact, James, the brother of Jesus, says this in James chapter 5, verse 16. He says, the earnest prayers or the fervent prayers of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And Elijah, talking about a prophet in the Old Testament, was human just as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, it says that the sky opened up, rain began to fall, and the crops began to yield. And so if you know anything about Elijah, he was one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, performed crazy miracles, raised people from the dead, called fire down from heaven, but he was just like you and I, human just like you and I. And if you read his story, he struggled with insecurity and depression and thinking God wasn't for him just like you and I, but yet he had the same power to, to stop the heavens from raining that you and I also have. He had the same power to open up the heavens for them, for, for rain to fall. And you and I still have that today. And I want us to understand as a church and you as a believer that you have that same power. How many of you would, would say, and the scripture says that, that the prayers of a, of a righteous man produce wonderful results. How many of you need some wonderful results in your life right now? 
Like maybe you're, you're walking through something, you're facing something, you need clarity on a decision, you need direction, you need peace, you need provision, you need whatever. The power to access those things is prayer. And so for the next four weeks, we're gonna be talking about some points in prayer. And, and what I want us to kind of hit on today is like there is a problem with prayer. It's difficult. It's awkward. It's misunderstood, and it is the one thing that Jesus really taught his disciples. The disciples didn't ask Jesus, hey, how do you heal people? He didn't ask Jesus, hey, how do you like teach? How do you preach? They didn't, they didn't ask Jesus those things. Instead, we see in Luke chapter 11, this is what the disciples asked. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, As he finished up, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Now, look, he didn't tell the disciples what to pray. And he begins after this point to go into what you and I probably know as the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We're going to look at all that. But he didn't tell them, this is what you need to pray. He said, this is how you should pray. And so it is a pattern that we'll look at over the next couple of weeks, how you and I can take this pattern and begin to pray. But, but before I tell you what to do and how to do, we always want to start with the what and the how. Tell me what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to do it. But here's what I know in my own life. When I'm told what to do and how to do, if I'm doing it long enough, I think I find a better way to do it. And so I start doing it my way. And then someone comes and corrects me. He's like, no, 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 no. I asked you to do it a certain way because. And it's when I get the because that I understand. Simon Sinek, a, a writer and a speaker, has an incredible book called Start With Why. And so we're going to start with why we pray. We're going to start with the purpose of prayer. And so I want you to think, for you, if, if, if we look at prayer for you, and I ask you the question and make the statement like, the problem with prayer is, and ask you to fill in the blank for your life. If you look at your life, for those of you who are walking with Jesus, and you look at your life, and, and, and we know that prayer is something that we're supposed to do, we know that it's a discipline, we know that, that it's something that we walk in to grow in our relationship, but if we're really, really honest, it's not something that we get right all of the time. And to be honest, like for me, even as a youth pastor, it's not something that that I did as much as I should. I love reading God's word. Reading God's word is like concrete. That's something I know I'm doing. I can turn a page. I know when I've accomplished something. I can read a chapter. I can read a verse. I can write notes on it. I can understand most of it. There's a story format to a lot of it. It's concrete. It makes sense. Prayer in all natural ways doesn't make sense. We're talking to someone we can't see. And when they respond, it's probably not going to be in the moment audibly. And if they do, if he does, your face is going to hit the floor in terror. (laughs) But trying to define prayer and trying to understand prayer um, is almost like trying to pick up jello with your fingers. (laughs) Right? Trying Trying to pick it up. You get a little bit of it, but you don't get all of it. And so especially if we're a new believer and we're trying to figure out and walk in this, we, it's, it's hard to get a handle on it. But I believe that we can answer the problem, that whatever it may be, if we can start with the purpose. 
and I can help you understand, and we can better understand as a church why God calls us to pray, why God calls us to pray. Matthew 26, it's kind of funny, the, the, the disciples ask Jesus how to pray, and they've watched him model prayer, both in private and in public and with a group, and in Matthew 26, verses 40 and 41, this is Jesus at the end of his ministry, and he takes his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, if you say that right, to the Garden of Olives, and he brings all of them except Judas, and Judas isn't there, and he brings the 11, and then he takes Peter, James, and John a little bit further over into the garden because they're kind of his three amigos, his, his, his three like closest companions. And he asks them to sit here and watch and pray with me. And then so Jesus goes on a little further, and he comes back to check on them, and guess what they're doing? They're sleeping. And he says to Peter, couldn't you watch with me for even an hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body or the flesh is what? Weak. And I know like so many times as believers and those of us who are walking with Jesus, we have these great um, aspirations to pray more often. And Jesus is like, could you not even pray one hour? And if I were to say that to you, you're like, you're wanting me to pray an hour? like an hour, like, and 60 minutes, <laughs> like an hour. And I was the same way, like early on as a youth pastor, like I would just run out of things to say. Anybody been there? You run out of things to say. All right. Or maybe you just have a prayer list and you start reading it off. You're like, God, you can read this. <laughs> Why am I even trying? <laughs> you know, what's the, what's the point? Or we hang on that scripture where it says, God knows what you need even before you ask for it. And so it can be difficult, the disciples, or maybe like there's been times at night where I'm praying, and I remember especially early on, I would be falling asleep, and I'm asking God, Lord, just keep me awake so I can continue to talk with you. And then you wind up falling asleep as you're praying not to fall asleep. Anybody? Maybe just, maybe just me. Okay. But the disciples, even seeing Jesus and asking Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, they had problems with it. And so I want us to, to understand this. In, in doing study and, and research for this series, I found this incredible uh, pastor in this, these books that he's written. And I found a quote that I really think matches where we are today. And he says, this is not a praying age. It's an age of great activity and movements, but one in which the tendency is very strong to stress the seen and the material and to neglect and to discount the unseen and the spiritual. Come on. Think about this time that we're in. We, th this is an age of great activity and we have movements and hashtags and try to get things done. And it's a tendency to focus on what's seen. It's a tendency to focus on the material. What can we do? What can we see? And to neglect and to discount the things that are unseen, and the things that are spiritual. And he says, prayer is the greatest of all forces because it honors God and it brings him into active aid. It honors God or it brings him into our world. And so I'm reading this, and you guys are probably thinking, this is some great pastor today, right? When you read about this, is, this is a time where we're focusing on what's seen, on material things, on movements that, that some great pastor wrote this in the last 10 years. This was written in the late 1800s by a gentleman by the name of E.M. Bounds. 
He was a lawyer who became a pastor. And so even, so this is nothing new for you and I, for you and I to see this as an age where we focus on what's seen and material and we take the focus and the trust off what's unseen and the spiritual, it's nothing new. The disciples wrestled with it. Past disciples, future disciples will all wrestle with it. But I want us as much as we can to get a hold of this so that we can walk in the power and authority that God's given us. And so prayer is really the most misunderstood and it's the most underutilized and the most overcomplicated of all the disciplines. Because odds are you've probably seen or, or heard someone pray in public and you think, man, their prayers are just so incredible because they know all the scripture, because they use fancy language, because they have bravado when they pray, right? God hears the prayers of a whisper just as much as he hears the prayers of a guy yelling into a microphone because it's not about the words that are coming out of your mouth, but it's about the condition and the whispers in your heart. That's what God hears. And so I want us to understand, like, like you can pray anywhere. You can pray at home. You can pray in the car. You can pray in the shower. You can pray at church. You can pray walking down the street. It can be done anywhere. You need absolutely nothing, no paper, no pens, no supplies, just you. You can start without any training. You can start, stop, restart, start over. It doesn't, it doesn't matter because this is what prayer is. And we overcomplicate it. Prayer is just simply a conversation with God. Prayer is a conversation with God. Just as you have a conversation with your spouse or your best friend or your neighbor, but in all actuality, guys, prayer and conversation with the one who created you, our Heavenly Father, is the greatest conversation that you can ever be in because that conversation never stops. You can end it. You can pick it back up. You can restart it. You can, it continues. And so the purpose of prayer and doing some research, man, you can, like, I could give you guys, like, 15 reasons why we pray, but really, I just want to simplify it as much as possible and give you, give you three reasons. When I look at Scripture, and I take all the other reasons that I've seen, and I'm, I just want to compact them and give you three things that you can walk away, and the very first, the most important that we have to get, you and I, is, is prayer cultivates intimacy with our Father. And when Jesus starts, and, and, and you will hear this, our Father, today, when Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray, he doesn't, he, he doesn't say, your God. He doesn't say, your Lord. He says, our Father. And so I want us to have the understanding that when you and I are talking in what seems awkward, we are talking to a Father who loves us greater and more than we could ever understand, that supersedes any relationship or experience that you've had with your earthly father. Because some of us, we may not have had that great relationship. And we've had a bad example. Don't let your earthly father be the model of your heavenly father. Know that God is seeking intimacy with you. And we see this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Jesus is, is beginning to teach the disciples, and he's saying, look, don't be like all these religious people who stand out on the corner, and they babble, and they say the same thing over and over in public, because they are getting their reward. They're getting their reward. Because people are looking at them and just saying, oh, how great they are. Oh, I could never be like you. And they're doing it all. And now, I'm, I'm not saying we don't pray in public. We do that but we do it with the right heart. Instead, what Jesus says, he says, but when you pray, go away by yourself 
shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. And so a lot of times you may have heard this term prayer closet. Anybody heard the term? Like War Room was an incredible movie about having your prayer closet. And so it says go behind the door and close it so it's just an intimate conversation between you and God. And so I remember being like in high school or college and we had a basement in, in one, of my, one of our houses and in that basement was a closet. And basically all I did in the basement is I had a TV and I had a NES, not like Super Nintendo, not N64, but I had an old school 8-bit NES and I would play RBI baseball and I kept like, come on, somebody, nobody, right? And so I would, I would keep up with all my stats. I had a binder and I would keep up every time my players would get a hit. And so like I was hardcore, but, but we had a closet in there and, and there was like, man, it was probably a few weeks or maybe a couple of months. I felt like, man, I should go in that closet and pray. And it was like a double door closet that my parents used to store all the winter clothes. And I was like, but that's just weird. <laughs> like, go in a closet and pray in the basement? That's, that's weird. And I was just, you know, really, really young. And I remember talking to one of my mentors when I became an adult. And, and they were like, yo, like, what, what if you would have met God there? And you missed that opportunity. And I was like, man, next time God tells me to go in the closet, I'm going in the closet. <laughs> and so the next time I went in the closet, it was in the green room of our church in Jackson. And the green room was kind of where our pastor went in between services just to kind of debrief to get ready to go again. And I would go in there in the mornings to pray. And there was basically a coat closet. And I thought, I need, I'm going to go in there and pray. And it was just big enough to put a, a, a chair in. And so I opened the door and I put the chair in. And I was praying like it was just maybe like a two by four. I mean, it was just small. And I was praying. I was like, this is nice. Nothing spectacular happened until I went to leave. Why do you, like, who puts a door in that it locks from the inside? <laughs> I'm locked in the closet. <laughs> and I'm like, do I call my pastor? And that's going to be humiliating. I can't do that. And so luckily I remember my phone had a flashlight and I turned the flashlight on. I'm looking and so there was a keyhole on the door handle. And so I was like, I've got a key. Maybe it fits. <laughs> and I put it in, it unlocked the door, and I was able to go, <laughs> go out of the closet. So before you go into a closet, let me just encourage you, make sure you can get out of the closet when you go in to pray. But Jesus says, when you go behind the door, close it, and your Father speaks to you in private. And we see this all throughout Scripture. In, Moses, in, in Exodus chapter 33, we see the story of Moses, and, and he would take his tent of meeting, and he would take it outside the camp, on the regular basis, and he would go in, and Scripture says that he would meet with God face-to-face -face and converse with God face-to-face -face as a friend. And then we see Elijah that we just talked about. He went up on top of a mountain to see God, and then there was a great earthquake. There was a windstorm. There was fire. There was all these things, and God wasn't in anything that was loud. Guess what? Instead, he was in a quiet, still whisper. You can't hear the whisper if there's a lot going on. And we see Daniel, when a decree has been made that, that he must pray to the king and no one else says that he goes up to his room and closes the door and opens the windows as he usually did to pray. And the disciples found that Jesus often went alone to pray because here's what happens. Intimacy is cultivated in private. 
and for you to know and, and, and find intimacy with our Father's heart, it has to be done in private. That is the most important thing when it comes to prayer. That is my number one goal for you because if you get that right, then these next two fall in line. The second thing is it brings alignment to our Father's will. Not will, W-H-E-L-L, but W-I-L-L. That it brings alignment to his will, to his way of doing things, to his desire for your life. And so many times we come in prayer and, and we want to try to bend God to our way. We want to not. We want to like treat him like Burger King, so that we can have it our way. But he wants to align us with his will, and that's why Jesus says when he prays in Matthew six ten, he says, "May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." And then in Matthew twenty six. When he's at the end and he's in the garden praying and he knows what he's about to experience and have to endure on the cross. And he says, God, if, Father, if there's any way that, that you can pass this cup before me, please do it. If I don't have to endure this, please do it. But then he says, it's not my will, but your will. See, Jesus never prayed for his way. He never prayed for his will. He always prayed to follow his father's will. And so many times we, we look at, at, at a conversation with God is getting a checklist of things that we want. And to be honest, if we were to conform and to align with his will, there's going to be some times that we don't like it. There's going to be some times that we don't understand it. There's going to be some times where we don't agree with it. But we have to know and trust, just like we spent the last three weeks talking about, that God is for us. And he works all things for our good and his will for our life is what? Good, all right? His will for our life is what? Come on, let's do it again. His will for our life is what? Good. But prayer aligns us with his will. Alignment with God's will comes with knowing God's heart. James 4, 2, and 3 says, you have, you have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, guess what? You're asking with the wrong motives. You want only what pleases you. How many times have we went to God and we've asked for something that we know is going to bring us pleasure? And we've kind of tiptoed and danced around what we know he wants for our life? I've got a friend that's going through an incredible, crazy season. And, and I asked him, I was like, have you talked to God about it? Because that was something he always asked me. Like, and so I flipped the script on him and said, have you talked to God on it, about it? He was like, no, not yet. I just want to go do what I want to do and then come back to him afterwards. Now, he's vocalizing that, and I see some of you like, it's like, that's ridiculous. Maybe you've not vocalized that, but have you done that? <laughs> right? We've all done that because prayer, look, as we spend time in prayer, we cultivate intimacy with the Father's heart. As we know our Father's heart, guess what? We begin to align ourselves with his will. And then the last thing is this, is when we come to him in prayer, what takes place is a demonstration of our Father's power. Come on. This is what I want to begin to see happen in our life. It's a demonstration of God's power in your life. James, Jesus' brother, says that it brings great power and wonderful results. We, but what we want to do is we want to go there first. You guys tracking with me? We want to jump to the power. We want to jump to what we want and need in our life. And our father's like, come on, let's back it up a couple of steps. Let's just spend time in conversation. Let me get you to know my heart. 
let me get you to understand my will. Because when we can understand his heart and understand his will, then our prayers will actually begin to move his hand. When we can understand his heart and understand his will, then our prayers will move his hand and his power will be demonstrated. James chapter five, it says, the prayers of a righteous person produce great power and wonderful results. And Jesus even prayed this, guys, in John chapter 11, last story, John chapter 11. This is after his friend Lazarus has passed away. And he's four days late. He's already been buried and Lazarus's sisters are like, if only you'd have been here, Lord. And he goes to Lazarus's tomb and he makes this statement. He says, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you only believed? And then he prays right there in front of everybody. He says, thank you, Father, for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it aloud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you have sent me. It wasn't about what Jesus was doing in that moment. It was about God's glory and power being present in that moment. And so here's what I want for you and I. Like, I want God's power to be demonstrated in your life. I want God's power to be demonstrated in this church but I don't want us to be a church that is just seeking his power without knowing his heart, guys. Because if we're just chasing after his power without knowing his heart, we are way, way off track. And there, I know people, I'm in a relationship with people that do that and they miss it. I've done that in my prayers. Like when we were moving here and we were trying to sell our house to get here, um, and it wasn't like a crazy market like it is now. Like you can just think about selling your house and it's already sold, Right? You, like, you, don't, you, you don't even have to speak the words. You think it, and there's a realtor. They heard your thoughts, and they're knocking on your door, right? That's, that's just how it is. But I remember, like, we had this timeline of what I thought was supposed to happen to get us to Murfreesboro. And so we put our house up for sale. Our realtor's like, no problem. You'll sell it real quick. And so two weeks go by, three weeks go by, no bites. We finally get an offer. Somebody looks at the house. We get an offer. And I'm not feeling real comfortable about the offer because they had us paying, they were going to pay the full price, but they wanted us to pay full closing costs. So that's taking like five to six grand out of my pocket. And I was like, I don't, I don't really know how I feel about this. I didn't really have peace about it. And instead of listening to God, I listened to my realtor who is not God, right? He said, look, Stephen, if you don't take this offer, we're going to have to lower the price of your house. And it's basically going to be the same amount in your pocket. So let's just go with this. And see, I'd been wrestling with God about, about getting my house sold because I knew we were supposed to be here. And so there were nights that I would spend circling my front yard barefoot because I had incredible grass and it just felt incredible. So, so I was, come on, I was walking my yard and I was praying. And, and the prayer I was praying was like, God, I need this house to sell at the right price at the right time as soon as possible. So I get to Murfreesboro because I got to start church and I need money so that I can buy a house. And I'm praying all these prayers, just circling and I'm praying. And then God's like, why are you being so selfish with your prayers? Why don't you start praying for the family that's going to buy this house? And just like conviction. And so I'm praying, like, God, I'm sorry. I just pray that there'll be laughter in this house. And I just pray that there'll be no sickness. And then, you know, the kids. Would, and so, like, I'm praying for the kids and the moms and the dads. And I'm just like, all right, this house is going to sell. When we get that offer, I'd actually, like, after they put the offer on the house, they came back to just do another final walkthrough. And so 
we weren't supposed to be there, but I parked my car in my neighbor's driveway so I could see who it was, <laughs> to see who I'd been praying for. And I'd been praying for a family with kids, but it wasn't a family with kids. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but like my wife and I had raised our kids in that house, and we wanted another family to experience that. And so when I saw that they, that, you know, they were a retired couple, maybe had grandkids, I was like, oh, that's not who I was praying for. And so we go to Disney World like two weeks later and three weeks later, and we're there. They come and do the house inspection, and my realtor calls, and he was like, got some bad news, man. He's like, house inspection came back. They say there's hell damage on your roof. Buyers are backing out. And I was like, are you kidding me? I got to get to Murfreesboro. What's... And so like, I'm calling my contractors. I'm calling my insurance company. I'm calling my realtor back. And he's like, look, dude, go eat lunch with Mickey Mouse. Hang with your family. There's nothing you can do. You're 16 hours away. And so literally, like I remember, there's a story in, 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 in the Old Testament where God tells Moses, he says, stand and see that I won't fight for you. And so that's all I could do is I could just stand. I was 16 hours away. And so I'm pushing my nephew around and then I'm just praying. And so at one point I walk away and I really like, I just open my hands, open my hands and I'm walking around Magic Kingdom, sunglasses on, just like praying like this, just walking around. And my wife was like, somebody could have put money in your hand because they thought you were blind and begging for money. <laughs> right? And, I, and I'm praying. I was like, God, I'm taking my hands off of it. I'm taking my hands off of it. And he said, like, I, it's like, that's what I wanted you to do the whole time. So we get back. Sunday night, I call my realtor, and he's like, look, we'll put it back on the market Monday morning. And so we did. We get a call Monday afternoon for a showing Tuesday morning, first thing. So we go to breakfast while they're looking at our house, and he calls us, like within an hour, and he says, I think we've got an offer on the table, full price offer. They're paying closing costs. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. And so we come time for the house inspection, and I'm there this time. Like, like, I'm going to make sure that you know that's not hell damage, that everything's okay. And so she shows up. I'm like, this is going to be interesting. Guess what? She has three kids. And they had been looking for a house, but our house had been taken off the market when they came to Medina looking for the house because I accepted the wrong offer. And so I put myself behind, not God. Because I rushed knowing God's heart for that home was to be for a family. Not understanding God's heart, I didn't align myself with his will and took an offer that wasn't for me. And so by that, I wasn't able to experience his power in the moment. It wasn't until I understood his heart, aligned myself with his will, that I experienced his power. And we got a full price offer. They paid 100% closing. And we got here. And so I tell you that story to help you understand, like, there is a process to it. Just don't jump to the power. Get to know the Father's heart. Align yourself with his will. And then I promise you, you will display his power in your life. So I want us to do this. Just take a moment and close our eyes and bow our heads. As we just kind of take introspection. And I know I put a lot on you today. And I really feel like I'm chipping away at some old thoughts, some old patterns, some misunderstandings of what prayer is to be and what it's to look like. And I pray that out of the next four weeks that you come away with a better understanding of, of what prayer should be, the posture and the purpose and the patterns in, in, in which we can pray, not just so that we can see God move in our life, but improve our relationship with him that results in God moving in your life. 
But the first prayer that you can ever pray, the most important prayer that you can ever pray is, is one that initiates the conversation, the one that starts the conversation, the one that, that begins the relationship and coming into a relationship with him and just saying, Jesus, I give you my life. I've not got it all right. I've messed it up. And God, I want to know your heart. I want your will to be my will. I want to see you move in my life. And it starts with simply saying, Jesus, I give you my life. And if that's you today, I just want to take a moment. I just want to encourage you and invite you just to simply lift your hand as a sign of surrender and saying, I'm starting this conversation with you and I'm giving you my life. Come on. And for the rest of us, for the rest of us in here, I pray that you can get a head start and start today or tomorrow, but as we go into this 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church, that we would seek God, not for what he can do, but for who he is. And that we would see miracles, that we would see his power move, but as a church and collectively and individually, we would also be aligned with his will. And so as we pray, for those of you who raised your hand, I'm gonna ask you that you start the conversation by simply saying, Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me for what I've done. I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm asking you to lead me, and I'll do my best to follow. So, Father, I just come to you, and I thank you for your word today. God, I thank you for your presence. God, I thank you for the lives and hearts that have been lifted up and changed today. God, I pray that, that those who are starting their conversation today, that it won't end today, that it will begin tomorrow and the next day that it will just continue as they grow to know your heart know your will and see your power performed in their life God for the rest of us as a church Lord I pray that we would just seek your face God that you would convict us and prick us and bring us to a place that we seek you and that we're desperate to seek you so Father we thank you for this day we thank you for your power and your word. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, come on, come on. Let's give God a hand clap.